Today's reading is Luke 20, 45 through 21, verse 4. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Grace. Good to be with you. My name is Jake. Uh, and I, I think we're a little bit of a smaller crowd today, probably for two reasons, I'll venture. Uh, one is because we have people at the Psalms retreat, which is amazing. So they're wrapping up their time, but, uh, but be praying for them. Also, I think there's some sort of religious festivity happening at 3.30 today, and I think people are probably getting their food offerings for it ready. Uh, so that might uh, cut into our, our crowd today. But hey, in honor of that game happening at 3.30, I figured, why don't we start this sermon with a little game of sorts? And uh, we're going to call it This or That. You know the, the Fat Boy Slim song, you can go with this or you can go with that. So, uh, and often in life it feels like that's how it can kind of be, right? We have two options, sometimes like diametrically opposed options, and we choose one or the other. And so today I'm going to give you two options, and I want you to cheer for the one that you choose, all right? So, uh, Levi, we can go ahead and put up the first one. All right, so here's two options. Number one, if you're going for the Chiefs today, let's hear it. Simon is for the Chiefs. All right. Uh, Niners. Uh, oh, I was really hoping it was only going to be Will. Dang. All right. Uh, I'm here for the Cheeto Puffs. All right. Next one. All right. Who's Team Coca-Cola? Team Pepsi? Much less. Dr. Pepper is the right answer. All right. Next one. You can go to the next one. All right. Team iPhone. Yes, yes, Team Android. You are the reason we have green messages. All right, last one, last one. Probably the most controversial. Who thinks pineapple belongs on pizza? Hey! Who says no way in the world it belongs on pizza? Wow, a lot less, all right. Next, next church event, we'll make sure we have pineapple on pizza. All right, that's not a promise. All right, here's the point with this, is that again, in life sometimes we have two options. We can go this way or that way, and the way we, we go determines things in life. Now, obviously some of these, they don't, they don't really matter at all. Whether you choose Coke or Pepsi, it's not gonna change the course of your life. But sometimes, things do change the course of our life. 
Sometimes the way that we choose to go will shape what life itself actually looks like. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in today's passage. He draws his disciples' attention to two different ways of being, two different types of life, two different directions that life might go. One of them he condemns, and the other, ultimately, we see God commends. And so today, we're going to jump in with the disciples, because we too are Jesus' disciples, and we're going to let him direct our attention to these two different ways of living. And then we'll think through how that informs how we live today. So if you're like me and and structure is helpful, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the way of the scribe, the way of the widow, and then we'll think about the way forward. The way of the scribe, the way of the widow, the way forward. So go ahead, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. If you're going to use the Bible under your seat, that is page 880. So Luke 20, and we're going to be starting in verse 45 today. Luke 20, verse 45. So again, the way of the scribe, the way of the widow. Those are the two ways we're going to see. So let's start with the way of the scribe. So verse 45, Jesus says, In the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, so he's talking to us now, Beware of the scribes. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So what is a scribe? Your translation might... Landon's saying, someone who writes, you are right. That is correct. Uh, Your translation might say, teacher of the law. So here's what we have to remember. At this point in history, uh, first century Israel, there was no such thing as separation of church and state. Right? The church was the state. And because of that, Scripture, specifically the Old Testament, was essential God's law was the, it was the uh, religious moral law, it was the civil law, it was the criminal law, it was like the constitution, everything was based on God's law. And the scribes, or teachers of the law, they had this incredibly important role. And their job was, first of all, literally to copy God's law by hand, but also then to understand it, to learn it, and to teach it to people and help everybody understand how are we supposed to actually live this out. Very, very important job. Now, probably you remember the story where Jesus clarifies that all of the law, all the commandments are summed up by just two commandments. Most simply, love God and love others. If you you give yourself fully to those two things, you are doing all that the law has asked you to do. Love God and love others. And so ultimately, what we could say is, at the end of the day, a a scribe's ultimate job was to help people love God and love others. Does that make sense? The problem was, they weren't doing that. They had totally failed. And the reason was they loved themselves so much that it actually got in the way of them loving God and loving others. Here's how Jesus puts it. 
Verse 46, he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So on the one hand, what we see first is that the scribes, their job, again, was ultimately to get people to love God, right? It was to direct worship to the person who it should be directed to, which is God. But they loved themselves so much that they they constructed a way so that all the worship was being directed towards them. And Jesus names just some of the, the practical ways they were doing this. It was the clothing that they wore, the long robes, the best seats wherever they went, people bowing down, paying homage to them. So flashy clothes, a little bit of celebrity status, and also like the front row seat wherever they went. That's what it became about for them. That's what they loved. Not directing worship to God, but getting worship directed towards them. And because they weren't loving God, they also didn't love the people of God even the most vulnerable people. Verse 47, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses. Okay, that, that's like a, that's a picture right there. Look, whoa, devouring a widow's house, what does that mean? And the honest answer is, we don't know. <laughs> Nobody actually knows what that means. No, no uh, scholar is completely clear on what exactly, what form that took. But regardless of how exactly it happened, what was obvious was what they were doing. They were taking advantage of widows for their own gain. Now what's so just mind-boggling about it is the scribes knew the Old Testament. And if you read the Old Testament, you see God is so concerned for widows. They were the most like at risk, the most vulnerable members of society, and God cared deeply about them. He actually set up laws to make sure that widows were protected and provided for. I, I can't think of a passage that better shows how serious God is about care for widows than Exodus 22, verse uh, 22. Look, just listen to this. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Do you think God cares about widows? Yeah. (laughs) And yet the scribes who were called to know God, to know scripture, to make sure widows were cared for, they were taking advantage of them. They loved themselves so much, there was no space left to love others. In fact, they used others as a means to love themselves. And we see that Jesus says, beware. Beware of this type of person. But what he's really saying, though, is don't become like them. Beware of their influence on your life. Don't be like a scribe. And we see why. They will receive the greater condemnation. 
Now, it's worth owning on the one hand, Jesus is speaking in a very specific contextual moment. Jesus, God himself, has visited his people, he's visited Israel, and they have rejected him. And God, Jesus has made clear that because of that, judgment is coming, it's imminent. And here he's saying that the scribes, those who had been tasked with leading the people to God, they're the most liable. They're going to receive the greatest punishment, the greater condemnation. So he's speaking to a specific moment. But but here's the thing. Even though we're not in that moment anymore, I think this still applies. I think we still need to beware of being like scribes. Because the thing is, you don't literally need to be a scribe. Actually, I don't even think you need religion to walk the way of the scribe. Because the way of the scribe, at the end of the day, it's a type of life that's formed around one question. What do I have to gain? What's in it for me? How can I get ahead? How can I love myself? And that question didn't just die out at the end of the first century. It's a question that I think we can still live into today. I mean, on the one hand, it makes me think of like the super cheesy old school James Bond villains. You know, like now villains are all like, they're gray. And you're like, I don't know, maybe I am on your side. I'm not sure. I see your point. But like the old school villains were like, I'm going to turn the moon to gold so that I can be the richest person in the universe and I'll kill anybody who gets in my way, right? It's kind of like a scribe, right? I'm going to love myself more than God, more than anyone else. I'll do whatever it takes. But here's the thing, we can do it in very socially acceptable ways too. You don't have to be a scribe, you don't have to be a, a James Bond villain to live into this. We can still set a trajectory of life that ultimately is concerned about answering the question, what do I have to gain? Probably one of the most tempting ways that it can happen now is just climbing the corporate ladder. Is it bad to to advance in your job? No. But if life becomes about that, if life is saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can get to the top, so I can get the most money, so I can get the most accolades, and and I'll leave destruction in my path, disarray and destruction in my family life, in my personal life, whatever, just to get to the top, that's a scribe. It it can happen on the playground, right? You might want to be the most popular person, the cool kid. And maybe the best way to do that is by putting down others, making fun of others, flexing like what the skills that you've been given so that you look cool. And that's what matters most. I'm not a parent, so I might be wrong on this, but I can imagine there's even a way of living as a parent where you can say, you know what, I'm going to try to make my kid exactly what I want them to be. So that people look at my kid and go, man, you're a great parent. Look at the good job you've done. Look at all the things your kid excels in. Even in socially acceptable ways, there's a type of living we can do where it's ultimately about saying, what do I have to gain? How can I get worship to me? And I'll use people if I have to. 
It's the way of the scribe. But it's a way that Jesus warns us against. Don't be like the scribes. But thankfully, he gives us another picture too. There's another way. He directs his disciples' attention in the complete opposite direction. And it's the way of the widow. Looking at chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Pause there for a second. So remember what I just said, that widows were typically, in general, were the most vulnerable, the most at risk. They were probably, in general, poor. So to hear widow already would mean poor. But Luke says this is a poor widow. That means, like, this is someone who is in poverty, someone whose life is on the edge. And we see that based off her offering. Yeah, the, the, the offering boxes weren't like the little bags that we passed, but they were these like trumpet-shaped receptacles, 13 of them in the temple. And you'd walk up and you would dump your offering in. And so you can just kind of imagine the sights, the sound of the rich as they're just dumping in all the coins that they have. And then a widow walks up. Just clink, clink. Two little pennies. And I'm not a mathematician, but I'm like, I think I can do this level of math. So I got out my calculator app, did a little currency exchange. I think she was probably putting in about $2 by today's standards. So the offering bag goes by, she puts in two little crumpled up dollars. Now here's why this is so interesting to me. is because if there's anyone in this scene who has a right to think like a scribe, it's her. It's the widow. If there's anyone who common sense would say, you need to be asking the question, what do you have to gain? How can you get ahead? How can you love yourself? It was her. She's in poverty. But she doesn't. And Jesus notices this. Look what he says, verse 3. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She has two dollars to her name. Two dollars. And she doesn't hold on to it. She walks up to the box and gives it to God, drops it in, and then walks away. It's amazing. And I mean, definitely, a whole entire sermon, trust me, because I had to fight the urge to do this, a whole sermon could be preached on just those four verses, right? And it tells us, like, well, what's the true nature of giving? Definitely. But remember, I think what Luke's doing here is, is giving us a contrast. There's the way of the scribe, which is about what do I have to gain? And then there's the way of the widow, which is answering a very different question. And the question is this, not what do I have to gain, 
what do I have to give? And what I love is this widow, she's not just a picture of what true sacrificial giving looks like. She is, but even more so, she's a picture of the true giver. The way of the widow ultimately is the way of Jesus. Because what do we know about Jesus? My mind here can't help but go to Philippians chapter 2. I feel like a lot of our sermons some point lead to Philippians chapter 2 because it's just, it's amazing. What do we know about Jesus? Look, look what Paul says, Philippians 2 uh, verse, I'm going to start in verse 4. He's, he says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. So don't live a life that's purely focused on yourself about what you have to gain. Instead, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Here's the way of Jesus, the way of the widow. Here's the path of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, if there's anyone in all creation who ever had a right to say, it is about me, I should be the recipient of worship. I have every right to walk around in a long robe and the best seat in the synagogue and you bow down to me. It was Jesus. He's God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The widow walks up to the offering box. She empties all she has from her pockets. And Jesus literally empties himself His divine splendor, the gifts that come with it, he empties it, he takes the form of a servant, a human. But there's more, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus says the widow gave all that she had to live on. And Jesus literally gives all he has to live on. He gives his life. Because he loves God his Father, so he obeys him, and because he loves you and me. He doesn't cling tightly to the things that he has, but he gives it because he loves us. It's a life that's totally formed around the question, What do I have to give? It's the complete opposite of the way of the scribe. And, you know, here's here's the, the thing. The way of the scribe is a way of life that actually makes sense. It does. Our world works that way. I mean, what are we what are we taught from ninth grade biology? Survival of the fittest. That's the thing built into the world. What are the species that, that stay alive? It's those who find their strength, exploit it for all it's worth, and you know, step on anything in their way. It's a way of life that makes sense if there's all this world is. But there's another way of living, a way that makes sense to God. And we see it in Jesus. Verse 9, Philippians. 
2. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The way of the scribe makes sense. You're climbing your way to the top, but ultimately Jesus says, you're going to fall. But the way of Jesus, the way of the widow, a way that's not focused on oneself, but is saying, what has God given me that I can give? Well, we see the end result of that in Jesus. He's exalted. Those who exalt themselves will what? They'll be humbled. But those who humble themselves, the widow, Jesus, they'll be exalted. And I'll be honest, that's a way of living that only makes sense. It only makes sense if there is a God who sees the widow. It's a way of living that only makes sense if Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's a way of living that only makes sense if God is a God who has given everything for us. And so it's safe and even wise to give everything for him and others. It's a way of life that says, this world isn't the end, but there's something next. It's not about me, it's about God. So what do I have to give? So the question is, well, okay, what's the way forward? Because obviously, I, hopefully, we know, yeah, we're not called to live the way of the scribe. I didn't even get up and need to preach the sermon, right? We know this. We know we're not supposed to live like the scribes. We know we're supposed to live like the widow, but ultimately like Jesus. But how do we do that? That's hard. It goes against the way that we're programmed. It goes against the way that our world works. And, you know, I want to be real in saying chances are, well, the, the scribe and the widow represent the most extreme versions, the, the most polar opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Chances are, I hope, nobody here is devouring widows' houses. And if you are, Exodus 22, check it out. <laughs> Watch out. And in the same way, chances are nobody here is like the widow is $2 and they're giving it away, right? These are extremes. And even if we can't locate ourselves fully in one extreme or the other, that's not to say we're not still walking in one of these directions. Um, I, I probably am stealing this from someone, so sorry for whoever I stole this from. But I'd like to think life is not like a staircase, because a staircase, you can either go up, or you can go down, or you can just stop in the middle and not move, right? Life's not like that. Life is like an escalator. Because on an escalator, it doesn't even matter whether or not you are moving, you're being moved. You're either going up, you're either going down. And in our life, that's true. We are walking one of these two ways. 
through the daily decisions that we make, through how we use our time and our money, we are choosing which one of these two ways of life actually makes sense. What have I bought into? What way am I walking? And as people who believe that the only way to actually make sense of the world is through the resurrection of Jesus, we wanna walk how he walks. So three questions. Three questions that I think can help us start thinking through, how do I not walk in the way of the scribe, but how do I instead choose to walk in the way of the widow, the way of Jesus? So here's question number one. Levi, you can put that one up, thanks. According to whom does your life make sense? I wasn't sure if I was supposed to use who or whom, but I took a gamble and I'm hoping it's right. I know the wording may be a little weird, but according to whom does your life make sense? Here's the thing, I don't think Christians are called to be freaks or to be off-putting, like definitely not. But I don't think our lives are called to make sense. And it's worth asking, if I were to meet the scribe or the widow, who would give me a thumbs up on the way I'm currently living? Does my life perfectly make sense to the world around me? If our lives look exactly the same as the people around us who don't know Jesus, something's wrong. We're supposed to live lives that make people ask questions like, you did what with your money? You chose that career over that career? You did what with your vacation time? You did what with your retirement? We're supposed to live lives that beg a question that shows that there's a different way of living, a way that's formed around Jesus. And so my question is, question I want us to think about, so according to whom does your life make sense? Is our life being lived according to what we see propped up on Instagram or Forbes or the news, or is it a way that makes sense? Jesus says, yes, that's modeled after me. Next question. What has God entrusted to you? What has God entrusted to you? What I love about this story is that both the scribe and the widow had been given things by God. I mean, the scribe, power, authority, probably a lot of wealth that came with it, but the widow had something too. She had $2, she had those two pennies. Both of them have to answer the question, what's God given to me? And Grace, that's a good thing for us to ask too. What has God entrusted to us, to you? Here's just a list of some things that come to mind. First of all, most appropriately coming out of the sermon, is money. God has entrusted to us money. And I'm gonna venture and say that's true of everyone here. Now you might be saying, yeah, but I look a lot more like the widow than the scribe. Okay, that's still something. Some of us, I don't know, maybe we have $10 million. Some of us, maybe it's $10,000. Some of us, it might be $10, but it's something. Resources, too. An apartment, a house with a spare room, a backyard that can be used, 
a car, access to Wi-Fi. God has also given us resources that he's entrusted. More conceptually, it could be a position. Maybe you sit on an important council for the city. Maybe you're the head of PTA at your kid's school. Maybe you're the president of ASB. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're the captain of the soccer team. Maybe you're a parent, an aunt, uncle, big sibling. Whatever it is, God also entrusts positions to us. Another one is status. Maybe you're really revered in your field. You have made a name for yourself and people respect you. Employee of the month, whatever. Maybe it's a master's degree or a PhD. Maybe you're honestly just a cool person. People like you. You have charisma. People look up to you and they want to be around you. Talent, a couple more. Talent's another one. Maybe you're a great mechanic. Oh, how I need great mechanics because my brain doesn't work that way. That's something God's gifted to you. Maybe you're an amazing musician, an amazing athlete, a wonderful listener. God's given talents to us too. Those come from him. Here's the last one. All of us have this time. I know it sounds so like morbid to say it. Some of us have more time than others. That's true. But here's the thing. All of us, to some degree, have time. God's given us a life. He's given us time that we can use. So what's God entrusted to you? Here's the last question then. What does it mean to love God and neighbor using what God has entrusted to you? The way of the widow, the way of Jesus doesn't look at what God's entrusted and say, great, how can I build off this? How can I get more? But it says, how can I use this to live out the two great commandments, loving God and loving others? So what does it look like to take what God has entrusted to you and use it for him? Again, if if you have $10 million, uh, I actually have no clue what you can do with $10 million. But I'm going to guess you can probably like start a foundation, right? (laughs) You can do a lot of good for the city, I would think. Or maybe you can buy a rundown house in California. That's probably more applicable, let's be honest. <laughs> now, you can do a lot of good. Someone with, 10 mil, uh, with $10, you can't do that. But you can do something. You can feed a hungry person. You can give them the sustenance that they need for that day with $10. Maybe, you know, if you're on the, the, the I don't know, something important in the city, you sit on some council, wow, you probably have quite a say in, in, in what it looks like for people in our city, the orphans, the widows, to be taken care of. Oof, that can be used for God. But if you're the captain of your soccer team, you can use that too. People still probably look up to you. You can continually give glory to God. You can organize prayer to happen before team games so that people realize that what matters most to you isn't just soccer, but there's something else. 
I mean, I am not at all a Niners fan, but I have loved watching how Brock Purdy, their, their quarterback, just continues to put focus on God. What a cool use of the status, the position that God's given him. Uh, one more thing, time, right? No matter how much time God has given you, how can you use it for him and for others? Some of you here are retired. Oh, how I'm jealous of you. I want to be there. I want to be my age, but be there at the same time. Uh, God has given you time. Oh, what a gift. And unfortunately, our culture says, you've made it. Sit on the couch. Take long vacations. Spend your whole life playing golf. Those aren't bad things, but that's not everything. Jesus has come back from the dead. You have free time. You get to use that. What a gift. You know, maybe it's not retirement, but vacation time. Maybe you get two weeks a year. What might it look like to use that to love God and love others? Maybe it's just a Thursday night. Maybe two hours on Thursday night. That's the time God's given you. I love people here in our church, I brought this up in my last sermon, who make it a point to go serve dinner at the Lydia house. What a great use of a couple hours. The point is this, God's entrusted all of us with something. Brandon, you can come on up. God's entrusted all of us with something. And we're called to use that in a way, not like the scribe, not a way that makes sense to our world, but that makes sense to Jesus. That's answering the question, what do I have to give? So families, people who are following Jesus, let's walk in the way of Jesus together. So what we're going to do now, um, Brandon's just going to play some instrumental music, and we're going to give you some space just to think about these questions. Um, I encourage you, take a picture of them and, and take it home with you too. Uh, I know I'm, I'm like actively thinking about these questions, but sit prayerfully to God. Um, ask him to help you be honest as you think these things through. And before you go into that, one last thing I want to say, and it's this. We're not called to do this so that we get on God's good side. We're not even called to do this so that we can avoid judgment. We're called to do this because this is what God has done for us. God has shown in, in himself, in the person of Jesus, a God who gave everything for us, who laid it all down, who left heaven so that he could bring us to heaven. A God who has given. And so we give because God has first given to us in the person of Jesus. That's why this matters. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you that you give us examples of what it looks like to, to live like Jesus. And God, I pray you would rescue us from the ways that our world tells us that we should live. And I ask instead that you would mold us into people who look like the widow and, and ultimately look like you. And it hurts and it's scary and it doesn't make sense, but Lord, help us trust that you actually know what's best. So God, in this time, I pray you would guide us just through the Spirit into taking steps into walking in the way of the widow. Amen. Lord, I pray you continue to guide us 
in thinking these things through and uh, that your spirit would just mold us into people who look like our Savior. And I pray this in the name of our precious Savior, the one who gave it all for us, Jesus. Amen.